It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. I'm thrilled to have a conversation today with my guest, Leah Penniman, co-founder of Soul Fire Farm. She's the author of Farming While Black, Soul Fire Farm's Practical Guide to Liberation on the Land, and winner of the James Beard Foundation Leadership Award in 2019. Leah is a longtime farmer, educator, and food sovereignty activist, and her work with black and brown farming communities helps to reclaim ancestral land and build genuine agency in our food system. Welcome to the podcast, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. If I didn't have a format for this podcast, I wouldn't know where to start <laughs> because the, the subjects that you tackle in your everyday life are huge. Uh, so before we get to any of that, let's create a sense of place for the listeners. Can you describe where you are and what the physical space at Soul Fire Farm looks like? Absolutely. So Soul Fire Farm is on 80 acres of historically Stockbridge Muncie Mohegan territory in upstate New York, right outside of Albany. Uh, we are in the foothills of the Taconic Mountains on sloped, heavy clay soils. We grow vegetables, fruits, um, medicinal herbs, pasture-raised protein, as well as rewilds uh, the majority of this land. And right now, as I look out the window, there is uh, gentle snow falling on top of our raspberry patch. It's quite beautiful. <laughs> so we are in our, our sleepy season on the land here. Wonderful. That's great. So you you answered my other question about, do you shut down for winter? And it looks like your farm does, but you are most likely still very active doing other things. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so we are busy all year round. Um, Soul Fire Farm, as you know, is committed to uprooting racism and seeding sovereignty in the food system. So there's three basic ways we do that. One is that we do grow a whole lot of food using our ancestral carbon negative, biodiversity positive uh, practices, and then distribute that food at no cost to people who are survivors of food apartheid. And the majority of that does happen during our six warm months, though we also have some winter growing as well as our livestock that need care throughout the winter. Um, but the other two aspects of our programming go strong all year round. We are a farmer training center. We do both in-person and remote trainings on everything from beekeeping to herbal medicine to seed saving to marketing. Um, so that is very active. And then uh, we are engaged in grassroots organizing to get at the root cause of uh, some of these injustices, which means writing policy and uh, working to build new institutions like land trusts and uh, credit unions that support black and brown farmers. And that work is, it peaks in the wintertime. So we are seasonal, uh, but more in emphasis. We haven't figured out a way to have a true rest yet in the year. Yeah, it's hard. I feel like, well, I live in a place where, uh, where we garden year round. And so I, I, I relate in that we never sleep. It doesn't, the mm. work never <laughs> stops. Right. Right. <laughs> when I ran across your book, and then inquired about having you on the podcast. And then I saw that you were speaking at the Bioneers Conference this past weekend. You were part of this terrific panel discussion about food sovereignty. What does that mean to you and your work at Soul Fire Farm and the other networks of information that you provide to people and the other work that you're doing? 
So food sovereignty is this really important concept that comes out of an international peasant farmer movement called Via Campesina. And it refers not just to having enough to eat, but really having democratic control of all aspects of the food system from sunshine to plate. It means sharing the lands back with indigenous communities, you know, protecting the rights of farm workers, centering the needs of children, making sure we all have culturally appropriate, affordable food in our neighborhoods, um, protecting ecosystems. So food sovereignty is, is an all-encompassing platform that centers the needs of those who are closest to the land. And something that was so wonderful about the panel with Sister Rowan White and Reverend Heber Brown III is that we were very much emphasizing the importance of Black Indigenous solidarity when it comes to food sovereignty. Um, the system of settler colonialism and racial capitalism would, would divide us and would have us um, distracted and, and fighting one another uh, rather than working together. And uh, what I love about Rowan and Heber is that they work so hard to protect their seeds, to feed their communities, to support farmers, um, and do that in solidarity uh, across communities. So uh, I feel hopeful whenever I get to speak to the two of them. Yeah, and I, I actually took a seed school from Rowan, uh, and I've been trying to get her on the podcast, but I don't know if she checks her emails <laughs> or not. <laughs> she's she's just a wonderful soul to uh, to listen to and and get connected to the earth more with and and uh, Reverend Heber was fantastic. I feel like we're we're talking about something that people can still access if they did not attend the Bioneers conference, they can go and, uh, and register. And those, those recordings will be available to people as a package later on, but I'll give more information about that on the blog post that accompanies this podcast. Uh, but during the panel, you quoted Wendell Berry, who said the history of white man's use of the land in America is a scandal. And I think, you know, our country's history is missing a lot of information about black farmers and the great migration. And I think that's led to a misconception that people who used to work the land rejected farming for a, you know, quote unquote, better lifestyle. But that's not true, is it? It really isn't true. Um, and that Wendell Berry quote is so powerful because it talks about how in debasing uh, people who the settlers considered racially inferior and assigning them the hand labor, um, not only did they oppress those people, but also divorce themselves from a, a potential meaningful contact with the land. And this is so powerful because really the history of the U.S. food system is very much about stolen land and exploited labor. And we can trace that you know, back to the ongoing uh, but original sin of this country, which is the genocidal theft of land from indigenous people, as well as the enslavement of black agricultural experts to build the trillions of dollars of, of wealth um, that this country was founded upon. But it didn't end in 1865, right? We, If we look at the history of agricultural labor in particular, um, this slavery morphed into convict leasing, it morphed into sharecropping, um, to guest worker programs like the Baracero and H2A program, um, which really rely on creating very impossible conditions for indigenous people abroad um, that forces migration and forces economic desperation. So we haven't we haven't fixed it. And um, you asked specifically about black farmers. You know, the peak of black land ownership in this country was around 1910 when black farmers owned 16 million acres of land, which was 14% of the nation's farms. And that's almost all gone, um, not because of choice, but because 
um, white Southerners in the early 1900s found it so egregious for black folks to try to attain economic independence that they literally, you know, burned down people's houses, lynched people and drove them off their land. It was uh, the, the peak of activity of the White Citizens Council and the Ku Klux Klan and the White Caps. Um, and, and they lynched and stole the land of over 4,000 people whose names we know. Um, and this was followed by, uh, you know, on the heels by uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture systematically discriminating against black farmers, which led to massive foreclosures and land loss. So it is it not a choice. Um, the Great Migration was a refugee crisis. That loss of land uh, was a, a stain on the history of the United States. And Fortunately, between the Pigford class action lawsuit and the current work with the Justice for Black Farmers Act, there is some effort to rectify this historical harm. Yes, the the shame is, you know, it's something certainly not to, I don't want to center myself or white people in this conversation, but there is a cert, there's a definite level of shame around this, around the labor, the, the mistreatment of people in general. And uh, the labor issue we still deal with today because uh, I had another guest on this podcast, uh, Sanjay Rawal, who did a movie called Gather recently, a documentary called Gather. And his work prior to that was about the, the food laborers, particularly tomato pickers, and how they went on strike. They actually did a hunger strike in order to try and get a few more cents per barrel or per bucket of tomatoes that mm-hmm. they, that they harvest. It's, um, it's a continuing issue today that I think we, we as consumers of food uh, need to address because, you know, food is not free and we need to pay the a living wage to people who do produce it. Now I want to talk about your book. Your book is a guide to liberation on the land. Tell us more about that. <laughs> Well, Toni Morrison said that if there is a book that you need to read that hasn't been written, go and write it. And so Farming While Black was very much that book for our community at Soul Fire Farm because, you know, for years we've been doing black and brown farmer trainings and we had built over time curriculum that uplifted the proud agrarian history of our people and how to do regenerative ag in a way that honored our ancestral ways. Um, But this was in like Google Docs and scraps of paper here and there. And so the book was in some ways a selfish (laughs) attempt to organize and compile it um, for our trainees, but also not to gatekeep that knowledge and to to be able to share it more widely. Um, The book is dedicated to the memory of our ancestral grandmothers who braided seeds and promise into their hair before being forced onto transatlantic slave ships. And just like a braid has three strands, the book really has three strands. It has this history of black agrarian um, technology. It has the practical how-to, like how far to space your carrots, um, how to ferment tomato pulp so you can get the seeds out, how to run a youth program. And then the third strand is trying to be honest about our victories and mistakes as we started Soul Fire Farm so that folks don't have to repeat those mistakes. So there's some fun stories in there. Um, And it's been really special to see that the book has meaning to folks, um, elders and youth and you know, folks in this returning generation who are able to pick it up and and actually implement some of those practices to increase their own community food sovereignty. Wow, it sounds like it's chock full of valuable information that everyone who wants to do what you're doing could use. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope that it's valuable. And we do have another book that we're working on called Black Earth Wisdom that specifically uplifts the voices of the Black environmentalists who have 
honed their ears to be able to listen to the wisdom of the earth and sharing what the earth has to say about our next steps uh, in terms of survival of our species. So that will be coming out in early 2022. And we're very excited to have both a practical book and also a book that is um, philosophical, ethical, and metaphorical in terms of its, uh, you know, providing a guidepost for our way forward in harmony with the planet. Fantastic. I can't wait to see that book. Well, when that becomes available, we will be sure to share uh, that in our net social networks everywhere. Something you mentioned during the Bioneers panel is how COVID is hitting farm laborers. What are you seeing? Yes. So um, I think what's happening during COVID is that we are seeing the cracks in the industrial food system laid bare and all of these pre-existing conditions of inequity uh, exacerbated. So you know, as of last month, there were COVID outbreaks in over 800 meatpacking and food processing plants. Uh, we know that we've seen over 200,000 cases of COVID among farm workers, uh, rampant homelessness, um, overcrowding in substandard housing, children out of school going to work in the fields with their parents. You know, and many of folks who are, are farm workers are not documented, which means that they're not getting the um, unemployment benefits. They're even excluded from free COVID testing through many of these government programs. So uh, when we talk about essential workers, I think what our society has been saying tragically is that the work is essential, but not actually the lives of the human beings doing the work. And this is something we need to examine and rectify immediately. You know, the fact that we have not updated the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938 to include farm workers. And we're here in almost finished with 2020 and farm workers don't have the right to a minimum wage if they work on a small farm or to overtime pay or collective bargaining a day off in seven, eight hour workday. They don't have these rights um, is really a, a shame. Shame does not have enough letters in the word uh, for what that is. And so we need to pass the Fairness for Farm Workers Act. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, farm workers are honored for doing arguably the most essential work, which is feeding the nation. Wow, this is a huge effort. And I know that the, every time the farm bill gets renewed, we're hoping that maybe some progress will be made, but it's really the feet on the ground that make those changes. How do people get involved in this kind of progress? Well, we really believe that it's the folks who are most impacted by these issues who are the experts who should be in the driver's seat and who we should support. Um, so when it comes to policy issues, we lean into the wisdom of the HEAL Food Alliance, which stands for Health, Environment, Ag, and Labor. It's a coalition um, organization that works on policy. And so whatever the campaigns are that the HEAL Food Alliance has out, I recommend signing on, you know, calling elected representatives and so forth. Um, additionally, uh, on Soul Fire Farm's website under Take Action, soulfirefarm.org slash take action, um, you can find a policy action plan and a citizen's action plan that has hundreds of options of things you can do to heal the food system from sunshine to plate. And so there's something for everyone in terms of using institutional purchasing power, you know, advocating for food justice certification for your local farms. Uh, working on legislation to uh, protect farmers from unfair contracts. There's a lot there. Um, so definitely suggest checking out the action guide and getting involved. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is important. And I feel like a lot of people feel helpless to do anything about policy change, but that is in fact one of the most crucial things that people need to do in order to do. We can't rely on our legislation to make the changes. Uh, so we have to do, we have to do the work. 
Absolutely. And I think a lot of times we underestimate our collective power. I mean, uh, we still do have some shred of a democracy, right? And our elected representatives are accountable uh, to the will of the people. So we need to make sure that we're actually making those phone calls, writing those letters, signing the petition, showing up to testify, you know, showing up in the streets, um, because ultimately it is the will of the people that will prevail um, if we all take responsibility for, for doing our part. Yes. Well, it is tip time. I know you've given so much information already, but do you have a favorite tip that you'd like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? So it's my personal belief that everybody should consider growing something to develop that intimate relationship um, with plants, with life forms that are non-human. And so my tip actually is inspired by my wonderful sister, Naima Peniman, when we were traveling in Haiti, which is our, one of our ancestral homelands. Um, as soon as we get to the place where we're staying, she takes out this glass jar with a serrated top, puts some mung beans into it, rinses them, you know, flips it upside down. I was like, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm growing sprouts. Like you're growing sprouts next to where you're sleeping in Haiti. That's amazing. And she said, well, wherever I go, I have to have my garden, even if it's as small as, you know, just fitting inside of a jar. So encouraging people to think about, you know, sprouting some legumes on your counter or doing a, taking an old takeout container and just planting some lettuce or radish seeds. So you have some fresh microgreens, but that personal and intimate relationship with a plant, I think is really important for our wholeness as people. I agree. Even if it's just one herb on your balcony or in your windowsill, something like that. Something alive that you get to nurture and nourish. Right. Because there's so many people who think they are black thumbs and they're not, they're just, they just haven't had the experience. And like anything, if you learn how to do it, then you can do it. Exactly. Thank you so much for sharing that expert tip, Leah. And thanks for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. How do people find you and everything that you're doing? So you can find us online at soulfirefarm.org and on all the socials at soulfirefarm, one word. Fantastic. All right, Garden Nerds, you'll find a link to Soul Fire Farm's website and Leah's book on gardennerd.com this week. We'll also post links to their social media feeds and the ways that you can take action. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at gardennerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. And you'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under gardennerd1, on Facebook as gardennerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!